Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Wise men follow him. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook, and Brewer, or no, excuse me, 96.5 FM in Brewer in Bangor, Maine. You'll be hearing this on June 25th, 2016. And it's pre-recorded on June 24th. And we're going to open up just a, a little bit differently than normal because this is a landmark day. A couple of decades ago, I was listening to Radio Moscow on shortwave late at night. Radio Moscow and Radio Canada have been have news a day or two before our media decides how to spin it. The news was over. The middle-aged announcer came up and said, the following program will be a collection of foreign music. Just about like that. He couldn't have sounded more bored at all. And I was reaching for the dial when a much younger man came on and he said, are you ready for some good old-fashioned rock and roll? Radio Moscow. I thought to myself, this is the end of the Soviet Union, this moment, and essentially was. Then the Berlin Wall came down. What an emotional time. It's about freedom. Everybody wants freedom. And I mentioned a discussion I had with a bunch of mercenaries on a dike in Cambodia, sitting on a dike, drinking tea and eating fish and rice. And uh, it was it was surreal. It was like a, a scene out of Deliverance. I mean, up there with two Navy helicopters, four pilots, four crewmen, and I'm over there on the dike with a leader of the mercenaries, who was a South Vietnamese, Dai Wei, or lieutenant, in charge of all these mercenaries. We're sitting there waiting for the SEALs to call up to be extracted. And you couldn't have found a more peculiar situation. <laughs> And yesterday, well, the Berlin Wall came down. What an emotional time. If you've seen the movie Braveheart, John Wallace of Scotland is on the rack in London being tortured. And it's going to be a bad day for John. But at the end, John Wallace, with his last controlled breath, shouts, 
freedom. And it echoed through the square there in London. Yesterday, Great Britain voted for freedom. It's a milestone in world history, like the fall of the Berlin Wall. And progressives will be in a state of confusion because the people have spoken. You ever notice that in our founding documents, the word people is always capitalized? In today's textbooks, you don't see the word people capitalized. But that's the way our forefathers wrote it. That's the way it should be taught. Janet Yellen, head of the Federal Reserve, used the word uncertainty about 15 times in her periodic report this week. I watched it. I watched the whole thing on Fox News, Fox News Business Network. And I watched Janet Yellen hem and haw and try to make excuses, and she used the word uncertainty 15 times. Well, on that accord, she was correct. She is clueless. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know. She knows what will happen if she cuts interest rates. And she knows what will happen if she increases interest rates. Well, maybe Great Britain made the decision for us. Because since their polls closed at 9 p.m. their time, which was about 2 a.m. our time, the uh, gold has gone up uh, 6% overnight. I don't know how far it'll go. You're hearing this on Saturday morning, and I don't know what gold is be doing by Saturday morning, but it's just after 9 Friday morning. And uh, it's going to be an interesting time. Confucius said, may you live in interesting times. Confucius also said, may you draw the attention of government. (laughs) There's going to be a whole lot of, of frantic activity on Facebook today. Because the Facebook minions, the people that censor Facebook, you know, they look out for for pornography and and foul language to some extent on there. But they also take out conservative ideas, conservative thoughts on Facebook. And you put something in there and you go back a few hours later, it's gone. Put it in there again. A few hours later, it's gone. And they're coming back. They'll be back. And eventually, if you persist... They will threaten to to suspend your account. Well, it'll be there, but you won't be able to write on it. And that's that's the big black cube in Utah. The weather for for northern Maine the next several days is gorgeous, just like last weekend. It's supposed to be 75 or 80. When I got up this morning, it was 48 here at the lake. I'm in my camp. First broadcast from the camp in 2016. That camp, when the sun comes up, shines straight in. I'm looking to the northeast. That's where the sun comes up. Fills the whole living room here at camp with sunlight right from the floor to ceiling through the picture windows. And as the sun comes up, uh, it's shining down on the lake, and the lake reflects up. And the whole ceiling is illuminated with sunshine reflecting off the lake. 
It's fun to watch. First day of summer, the sun will shine in the picture window through the doorway into the kitchen, shine right on the microwave. It only does that for two or three days on the longest days of the year. But if you see things like that and live and enjoy the environment you're in, you observe things that other people simply don't see. Price of gas is down since last week, and the old northern Maine landman is going to predict that the price of gas is going to continue to decline. Not going to be a collapse, but it will continue to decline. Same with diesel. So, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting time. There we go. I'll set my iPad down. My brand new computer is almost full of memory, and it's not going to let me save stuff. So I got to dump a whole bunch of photographs. They're backed up. I can I can retrieve them, but I'm not going to get them on this machine. So, looking at at the Drudge Report here. Global order jolted. Trump says it's time to believe in America. All the gadflies in Europe say, oh, that's it. Trump's going to get elected. And I read, I scan these things. There's all kinds of articles. You can spend all day, every day looking at Drudge. Drudge picks up news reports and fragments of information from within other articles and posts them. You can read an article and get all the way down to the last three paragraphs, and that's where the meat of the article is. They come to their conclusion. And the uh, one little fragment of information. Now, I've, I've spoken about the bug-out bags that have been purchased by our government, 350,000 bug-out bags. These are knapsacks with provisions for three days, like granola bars and stuff to keep you going, and Kool-Aid and no water. Well, there's there's this provision for water, but you've got some Kool-Aid, and you've got water purifiers. So if you wind up drinking rainwater, you can put some Halzone tablets in there. Now, why would they do this? Well, this is so that the bureaucrats and the higher officials, not the bank tellers, but the executives in banks can walk home. Because it doesn't take very many vehicles to block a street or a bridge. And if we have disturbances, shall we say, in our country, you're not going to be able to travel by vehicle. How many bridges are there that leave Manhattan? You've got the Hudson River Tunnel. And... I'm no expert on New York City, but you've got the, no, the Holland Tunnel under the Hudson. That's what I meant to say. You've got the Holland Tunnel. you got the Triborough Bridge, George Washington Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, and various other bridges. It would be pretty easy to shut those off. And the people in that are stuck in Manhattan on the island could be stuck. Not a situation I'd like to be in the event of civil unrest. So each person listening to this 
should consider how to get home. I mean, if our federal government is giving our bureaucrats and functionaries a better chance of making it home, don't you think that we ought to have a better chance of making it home? If we do our own planning, everybody has a bug-out bag or an emergency kit. You go on down the interstate and you slide off the road into the snowbank. And you're stuck, and there's no plow coming for a while because the plows have pulled off because the blizzard is so bad. Now, Interstate 81 over in New York State had a blizzard coming off Lake Ontario, and they got about five feet of snow overnight. I mean, it's a huge amount of snowfall. Lake Ontario was warm, and a cold front came through, and all that warm water came up and condensed and dumped right there within 30 miles of Lake Ontario. And they have huge amounts of snow. That can happen here, coming off off the Atlantic Ocean. Or just the just the garden variety blizzard. Two months, two winters ago, we had a, a the worst winter we've ever had for cold and snow. I mean, you, you ought to have a way to take care of yourself and take care of your family when you're traveling. And that can be running down to Bangor to the big boys' toy store. And that is, is Harbor Freight. And it's you got some good, good, useful tools down there. They're not the old-time junk tools where you can, you know, bend a wrench. It was made in China. Bend a wrench with one hand or break it. And uh, they're fairly good tools. And a whole lot of craftsman tools are made in Red China today. You know, they used to be made in America, craftsman tools. We still do. We still make some good tools in our country, but we ought to have some stuff with us at all times. So if you have a forest fire and you got dense smoke going across the interstate, and the, the interstate is closed, and they won't let you travel up the interstate, well, there you are. You're planning on going home and taking your insulin. They were planning on going home for supper and you got pizza in the car, well, that's a good thing because you can eat pizza when it's cold. It may not be as good as it was when it was hot, but it's good food. There's just as many calories. But just stop and think and have some, have some alternative means of getting home. They'll have a guy in a house, the police in Maine or anywhere in the country for that matter, there's a guy in the house that's angry with his girlfriend. He kicked her out. She's run off in the woods, and he's in there threatening to commit suicide. They'll close down the road, I mean, just for a half a mile, because there's a guy in there that's angry and drunk. They'll close down the road. With You've got to find a different way to go home. There's some people that live up at dead-end roads. And the only way to get home is going to be walk through the woods, park your car, and walk home through the woods. June 9, 1953, there was a tornado that went down through central Massachusetts. It started up northwest of Rutland somewhere, came down through Rutland and Holden and Worcester and Shrewsbury and Northboro and Westboro, went all the way down to Fayville, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. 
beyond Framingham. And it killed 116 people and felled trees, destroyed houses, roads were impassable, and half a mile away, it was sunshine and people mowing their lawn and and uh, everything was fine. Half a mile either side. But that swath where the tornado went through cut a, cut a path of destruction over 100 miles long and there were, I believe, about 114 people killed and a whole lot of people injured. I was in the middle of it. I was in my cousin's house and uh, all the windows were blown out of their house and lots of damage. And But there were houses in the neighborhood with, that were gone. I mean, the house was built on a concrete foundation and there wasn't one stick on the foundation. The guy across the road had a brand new Chrysler. And there it was in his driveway sitting on its top. It was picked up, rolled, and dropped on its top. Mashed flat. But there are all kinds of stories of tragedy. But the thing is that who would have thought that this could happen? Two days ago, we were sitting here in camp, and I looked on the radar, and the skies got dark, and it got real dark. And I heard a distant roll of thunder, and I turned on the radar on my, my iPad here, and uh, there was this big line of thunderstorms with a whole bunch of red dots in it, which is, you know, real heavy precipitation. And then there was a blast of thunder here in my woods. Just bam! I mean, it was a huge blast of, of lightning strike. I've seen those before, twice, and uh, in all these years. And one of them... Uh, it blew a pine tree apart. I mean, it just blasted it into chunks of wood, uh, big chunks, but it, it blew the tree completely apart, just a few shards sticking up out of the ground. And another time was uh, on a back road. I was out looking at land, and it hit a pine tree and blew that pine tree apart. It was a, it was a blast like that. And a lot of times you'll hear that crack. Well, this was more than a crack of lightning. It was a blast. I'm going to take a walk up through the woods and if I can see because there's got to be chunks of wood thrown around from that one. I've talked about preparedness on the show here a number of times in the past and predicaments that people can get into. And you always ought to have a plan B. You ought to have a way to get home, get to your family, get to your supplies, be ready to to uh, cope with whatever should hap- happen. You know, have a plan. Have a plan B. Have a plan C. Because Confucius said, you know, may you live in interesting times. Well, Great Britain voted for freedom yesterday by 2%. Well, it could have gone either way, but there were enough sensible people in Great Britain that they didn't want to be ruled by a Eastern European committee with its headquarters in Brussels, Belgium. You know, they have a long history of dating back to the Magna Carta, 1066. 
when they said that, you know, man's right is his castle. Man's home is his castle. And you can't just go into somebody's home without due cause. We still have that. Unreasonable search and seizure in our Constitution. I would recommend that those people who haven't looked at the Constitution recently, look it up in an encyclopedia, get it online, take it out of your pocket, which I always carry a copy of the Constitution. If I was a drinking man, it it would settle a lot of bar bets. (laughs) But I don't drink. I'll have a rare beer in the summertime. But I, I don't go to bars. I may go to a restaurant that serves alcohol, but but uh, kind of hard to avoid. But take a look at the Constitution. It's going to become really pertinent. Now, Hillary Clinton, Susan Collins, various progressive allies have all made moves against the private ownership of firearms in recent days. You're going to look for more events such as what happened in Orlando. You know, we had a Democrat gay Muslim shot up a gay bar in Orlando. You don't see it reported that way on on NBC, ABC, CBS, the Clinton News Network, CNN. But that happened. Now, the importance that you attach to this, you know, varies with the individual. Well, those people there in that nightclub with limited opportunities to exit, you know, didn't all deserve to die. Nobody's saying that. But if three of those people in that building had been carrying concealed firearms, they wouldn't have had 50 people killed, or 49, whatever it is, and another 50 wounded. And there were some heroics involved in this, but but nobody had a concealed firearms in there. If they had... One of those, if there had been three people in there, I mean, maybe the guy that was carrying would have been the first one shot, just totally by chance, because nobody expected it. But once the round started going off, suppose he was the first one shot. There's two, still two other people in there. They would have that handgun out, and one of them just shoot that guy in the head, that would have been the end of it. And there would have been a number of people killed. But you wouldn't have had a 100 people killed or wounded if just a few people in there had been carrying. It's the responsible thing to do. Now, just this past week, there's a restaurant owner that owns three restaurants down there in Lower Maine. And she posted on her Facebook page that she didn't want anybody carrying in her restaurant. Just didn't want it. And she didn't want anybody that that thinks it's okay to have a privately owned firearm. Doesn't want them in there either. So the 
the people down there in Lower Maine who think we ought to be able to follow the Second Amendment, and if we choose to carry a firearm, we should be able to. If we choose not to, well, that's fine. Back during the Revolutionary War, an awful lot of people did not get involved directly. They still provided our army with food and shelter from time to time, but it was voluntary. Down here in Portland, you got this lady that is hostile to our Constitution, hostile to free citizens who, though they may not carry daily, still would want the opportunity to carry, because it is their right, whether they use it or not. This lady went to war against the vast majority of Maine, believes that we ought to be able to have firearms. Own them, possess them. The right to bear arms is guaranteed in the Constitution. Bear means carry. That's it. Keep and bear. Keep means own, have. Bear means carry. Look it up in the dictionary. And bearing something is a burden. It carries a responsibility. And we need that. You know, we need responsible people to stand up and be personally responsible for themselves and uh, be responsible for our neighbors who the most distant thing in the world to them may be the personal responsibility of owning and carrying a firearm. They're not trained. They're not familiar. They may not even know how to use one properly and efficiently and effectively. They need to be able to rely on the majority of the citizens who will protect their rights. George Washington said, I am a soldier so that my son can be a farmer and his son can be an artist. And it's a natural progression. You know, it's fine to live in a very peaceful, quiet society where there are is very low risk, and the Amish people live that way. You know, down in Pennsylvania, Ohio, those were the greatest concentrations of Amish are. But then you've got the Hutterites, who are also a German-based faith. They left Germany and came to our country because they have they tend to have lots of children in their families, and not every child is going to be able to grow up and be a farmer or a farmer's wife. And in order to have a family and prosper, they need to be in a different place. Well, Pennsylvania and Ohio has very fertile ground, and it's not very rocky, unlike Maine. Back in the 1870s, Maine, New Hampshire, and part of Vermont ran out of fuel. I mean, they were low on firewood. It was difficult to get enough firewood to keep your house warm. There was no electricity, no propane, no gasoline, no fuel oil, no coal. They used wood for all of their their heating needs, whether it was running a blacksmith's forge or casting iron. 
and other metals, casting bullets, if you will. But everything was heated by wood up until the 1870s. And then we had a big problem. I mean, we had factories that were run by water power. Big water wheels turned great big pulleys, and there were belts running off over the head all over the place. And they had master shafts running down the length of the factory beside the canals. And they'd have a water wheel turning this thing, and they'd they'd throw the clutches in, and these belt-driven machines ran hammer forges, they ran lathes, they ran knitting machines, they ran looms for weaving cotton sheets, cotton clothing, cotton fabric. It was all done by pulleys. OSHA would pitch a purple fit today if they walked through those places, and people did get caught in them. My aunt caught her arm in a wringer washer, broke both bones in her forearm, just gobbled her up and broke her arm. And those old-time washer machines were called mangles because that's what that happened to people. I mean, you take your clothes, you run them through the winger, ringer, and they drop out into the tub partially uh, it was partially removing the water, and then they'd hang them out on the clothesline. And the clothesline was often on the porch. So in case there was a shower, the clothes wouldn't get wet again. The clothes did drier and fresher uh, if you hung them out in the sun. But it was water power that ran that. The little tiny washing machine motor, quarter-horse gasoline engine on the porch that ran the washing machine, had not been invented yet. I remember seeing those. But some of those old skills may come in handy. What the old-timers know can be of assistance to the young people growing up because they can't imagine. I was talking with some Asian students, and I mentioned that my uncle, excuse me, my brother-in-law, <laughs> my brother-in-law worked on the Apollo space capsule, designing the fuel system that measured the amount of liquids in the tanks. Now, some of the tanks had fuel, some of them had uh, air conditioning, uh, and it was uh, they had some nuclear generators on some of the early ones because solar power was not efficient enough. They didn't have photoelectric solar cells. They put panels out there that had liquid in them, and they'd pump the liquid in and uh, to use it for heat, and then they'd pump the liquid out and put it on the cold side for cooling. It was pretty primitive. But the fuel measuring system that my brother-in-law worked on for the Apollo space capsule was designed with slide rules. Nearly all of it was designed with slide rules. They didn't have computers like we have today. I've got a computer sitting on my lap, and I've got an iPad sitting beside me. My computer has got more power in it than the early Univacs. It took up a whole room. And I, you know, when I went to college, we had slide rules, 18 or 20 inch long slide rules in cases hanging from our belt. Because the bigger the slide rule, the more accurate you could be. They also had six-inch slide rules. 
stick them in your shirt pocket for small minor calculations. But the point is, and the, and the students, the Chinese students or Asian students that I was speaking with, said, how did you keep track of the decimal point? I said, in your head. Well, sometimes we just put down a bunch of dashes on the paper to keep track with no values. The value was on the slide rule, but you had to keep track of the decimal points separately. And we tried to do three digits of decimal points. And it was tricky. You know, you really had to have your wits about you. Today, we have children in the school system that don't know their times tables, do not know how to read and write. Now, I, they can certainly read the computer screen, and they can hunt and peck and enter data and text each other. But when I say read and write, I mean read cursive writing that someone else has written down, such as the forefathers in our nation, the Declaration of Independence, and our Constitution. We have many founding documents that were written in cursive writing. We Americans should be able to read them in their original form, not the sanitized, progressive material that's fed to our students through places like Common Core, where they say that, you know, with the proper government permission, you can have a firearm. Well, that's not what our Second Amendment says. You have a right to keep and bear. And that right shall not be infringed. It's a right. Now, we're going into in, in a period, as Janet Yellen said uh, this week, a period of uncertainty. Bankers like certainty, you know. Bankers used to have a pretty good handle on, on the environment where they were doing business. There was a bank down in Alfred, Maine, back during 1987 or 88. We had what they called a banking crisis. It was fraudulent. There was no crisis. What happened was that we had a slight economic uh, slump. It wasn't a depression. It wasn't even a recession. It was the inability of the banks to make as much money as they had hoped to make. And their shareholders were beginning to get a little grumpy about it. Now, back when Jimmy Carter was president, the interest rates went to 18%. A home loan costs 18% a year. So if you bought a home for $10,000, weren't a lot of $100,000 homes back at that time, so using round numbers, if you wanted to buy a house and you had a down payment and you took out a loan for $10,000, you had to pay $1,800 a year in interest. Well, that is $150 a month. Exactly. Interest. Well, that was more than the average rent, and people couldn't afford to buy homes. And then, at the same time, we had inflation of about 12% a year. 
because Federal Reserve was going nuts. They thought they could, you know, they were getting a lot of money, They're pulling in money with high interest rates, which caused prices to be inflated of common goods, you know, gasoline and and meat and bread and eggs and everything else that we buy. So Ronald Reagan came in and he decided to run run against Jimmy Carter. The progressives didn't want him to run. They tried their best to, to defeat him in the primaries. They ran a bunch of progressives and Ronald Reagan got nominated and was elected president and he carried 49 states. 49 states. People tend to forget this stuff. I was around then. 49 states. That could happen again this year. Now, Ronald Reagan had been governor of California. And he enacted or got enacted a bunch of reforms and California was prospering. And then he finished up his term in California and he gave off a stem winder of a speech when Barry Goldwater was running for president. And Barry Goldwater was defeated. He didn't make it. I worked hard on that campaign back in 64. Those of you that don't know me, uh, I was around in 64 and I was an adult, and I campaigned hard for 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 uh, Barry Goldwater. Well, Ronald Reagan was a relatively unknown. I mean, he was in some, in some Western movies, and uh, and he was on wagon train a couple of times, and you know, he was a popular actor, handsome guy, level-headed. And he was head of the Screen Actors Guild, or the or the, the uh, Actors Union out there in California. And he quit that because he realized that that system was was dysfunctional at the least and corrupt at most. So he got out of that, and then he got into politics. And he ran for governor in California and made it. And then he gave that stemwinder of a speech. And uh, when Goldwater was running, and he really picked up in popularity. Well, the establishment didn't like him at all. They did not want him to run. And that's what happens every single time. We got a good man running, like Ricky Long, for example. Now, Ricky Long has had two terms, very successful terms, in the main house. He's a principled man. He followed the footsteps of Henry Joy for the same seat in the House. And the seat opened up in the Senate from his district, which goes from Presque Isle all the way down to Route 6, the Transmaine Trail. So there he is. He decided he's going to run. Progressives pitched a fit. They don't. They want to get only progressives in the Senate. The Senate is where good bills, excuse me, where bad bills go to die. You know, the legislature will get all excited about something and they'll pass a bill that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then they send it up to the Senate, and the Senate will look at this thing and say, no, nah, not this time. 
it's just it's too hard it's too expensive it's too controversial we'll just vote it down but then you're going to get some people in there that really strongly advocate for this measure and well that's what we need we need some good conservatives in the main senate and Ricky Long is going to be one. Now, the progressives came, and they recruited a candidate from up there in Prescott Isle someplace. And she's a nice enough lady, but I got her literature in the mail. And you could not tell from the literature that they put out whether this candidate was a Republican or a Democrat. But had a candidate's name, and the name of the candidate's campaign treasurer and there were a bunch of pretty pictures of potato fields and sunshine. It was a mom and apple pie thing. There was nothing bad about it. But there were no principles. There were no goals. We need people that have principles and have goals. And eventually, uh, last Tuesday night, <laughs> I got a phone call. From up in Presque Isle, somebody up there said, "Geez, you know we somebody said to call you because you'll know what to do." <laughs> Northern mainland man down here at the southern end of the district. They said there's two towns that have not reported their election results. Well, I said, "What towns are they?" They said Webster and Springfield. All right, I guess I can probably help you out here. Made some phone calls, got a hold of Webster. Webster, sirs, is a polling place for Kingman, Prentiss, and Webster. People go to vote in Webster. They got a nice place there to do it. The old town hall is still standing. Webster is still a town. Prentiss and Kingman are deorganized. So Webster is the nearest functioning town, if you will. So that's where they go to vote. And that Tuesday, 10 days ago, a grand total of two voters came to Webster to cast their ballots. They have been, may have been the two election workers <laughs> that actually cast their ballots. I don't know who they were. But they didn't have which candidate they voted for, but with only two votes, this was not going to change the outcome of the election either up or down. Two votes would not have made a difference. Then they got a hold of Springfield. Well, registrar voters had gone to Lincoln and didn't know where they where she was. So I got a hold of the first selectman, and he called around, found out that she was going to be back home shortly. And got a hold of her, and she said, well, she, she didn't, remember exactly what the votes counts were, but there were 23 voters in the Republican Party, and all 23 votes went to Ricky Long. 100%. All of the votes went to Ricky Long. Well, guess what? Webster, Prentice, Springfield, Lakeville, and Lee, Carroll were the places that I campaign for Ricky. And it doesn't take a huge effort to get involved. If you get out, 
talk to people and just advocate for your candidate. You don't have to get up on the stump and give a stemwinder of a speech like Ronald Reagan did at the convention for Barry Goldwater. You just use some common sense and talk about the man's record. And he's 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 responsible, good fella. They'll vote for him. And he overwhelmingly carried the day in Lee, and he overwhelmingly carried the day in Springfield and several other towns. And the towns down at the bottom of the district here made the difference. And Ricky is our nominee. Now that's at the at the state legislature level. We can do the same thing at the national level. I got a hold of Bruce Poliquin two years ago, a little over two years ago. He had done a bang-up job as, as the state treasurer, and the state treasurer sits on a whole bunch of different boards in state government, keep an eye on things. He's the penny pincher. He's the pencil pusher and the bean counter, and all kinds of different nicknames for treasurers. But he found that the main turnpike authority was run like a great big slush fund with very little responsibility, and then he found out there was just plain theft going on in the main turnpike authority. And the leader of the main turnpike authority went to jail. I mean, he was a criminal. He was stealing from the people of Maine, from the public treasury, passing out gift cards all over the place, willy-nilly. can't do that. You can't steal state funds and pass them out to your buddies. That's the simplified version, but that happened. Well, then, the Republicans, six years ago, had a landslide election. We elected Paul LePage, elected a whole bunch of Republicans, took over the House and the Senate, but tragically, the Republicans sat back, and they had forgotten how to govern. They did not know how to run the Senate. They did not know how to run the House. And on the state level, they got some characters like Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid at the state level, John Martin, and they ran roughshod over the majority because they knew how. What a blunder. The state committee should have paid a little more attention and recruited some candidates that knew something. We had a bunch of them down there. We had some good people down there. But we had enough progressives to vote with the Democrats that we ruined our chances. And what what a wasted opportunity. It was a blunder of the first water, as they say. Well... We have another, every time this goes around, we've got a new opportunity this time. Now we've got, this is the back half of Paul LePage's term, the second half of his second term. And he is going to do his best to preserve his agenda throughout this last term. We've got a new legislature coming in in January. We need people like Ricky Long. And we've got a few other good ones down there. But we've got a few progressives down there that work against us deliberately. 
They ought to have just they ought to have their own party, the Progressive Party. Doesn't make any difference whether they're a D or an R. They're progressives. And I don't want to spend the whole show on this thing because we've got a few things that I want to wind up with. We've got a little over ten minutes to go. Think about your family. Think about your your abilities to make it through tough times. I've mentioned this many times in the past. As Janet Yellen's favorite word has become uncertainty, which means I'm clueless. The Federal Reserve is stuck. They're stuck in a bind. We have 95 million adults between the ages of 18 and 65 in our nation not working. Now, a small percentage of that are people that will never work. They're just incapacitated, and society should take care of those folks. You know, we they have a right to live, and and we're not like Adolf Hitler in Germany and go through and kill everybody in the mental asylums, kill everybody that uh, has a physical or a speech impediment, and kill all the religions that you don't like, kill all the gypsies, you don't like gypsies. And just, you know, that happened in Europe. They were supposedly a civilized country. We don't want that to happen here. Now, I think Glenn Beck goes off the rails from time to time, but he has shined the bright light of truth on a whole lot of corruption in our country, and we're in his debt for that. I, when this radio show is over today, I'm going to get turn on the radio, and I'm going to listen to Glenn Beck for a while, because he told us this is happening, and he did it on a large radio network. Not a lot of voices are out there spreading the word. And I know we've got people on this on this network, on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. We've got people there that know what's going on. And we've got people that have their own personal agendas. My personal agenda is to advocate for rural Maine. It's a wonderful place. And people are realizing it's a wonderful place. I sat down and I I looked around. I got people looking to buy farms. And what they want to do is they want to buy a farm that's got some woods so you can grow your own fuel. It's got some water, either a spring or a brook, or maybe even a farm pond where you can feed, you can water your animals. They'd like it to be secluded with a long driveway. They understand plowing snow. If they don't, they'll sure find out in a hurry come next winter. But they want to, you know, they want to have a place to go where it's going to be peaceful and they can make their way in the world. Because there's going to be a lot of places like Henderson, Missouri, where we're going to have disruptions in the community. These are people who feel left out in the world is not it's their own fault. Uh, there's education out there to be had. You could be self-taught. And we've got a whole lot of people self-taught, and we've got a whole lot of homeschooling families. And these kids win 
mathematics championships. They win the spelling bee on a regular basis. And they didn't go to the government school system. ethics. They learn personal responsibility. They learn saleable skills. They're honest. And this is, you know, this is the way things used to be. We need to get back there. But I've got ten uh, in, within 10 miles of where I live, there are four farms for sale under $200,000 each. That's peanuts. Down in Connecticut, you get a, a uh, an ordinary ranch house that may or may not have a garage, and they'll charge $200,000 for it. And they'll tax you gross amounts of taxes. They think our taxes are cheap. We think we're overtaxed. And the highest tax rate in the entire nation in Maine based on per capita income. But if you look at the taxes, actual taxes, we're down there near the middle somewhere. Because places like Connecticut and Pennsylvania have atrocious taxes. My brother-in-law spends $7,000 a year on the school tax. The school tax. Boy, those kids must be some smart down there to <laughs> spend $7,000 for one household on the schools. And there's a lot of people come up here and they think it's paradise. It is paradise. Maine is a great place to live. Much of Maine is a low-hassle environment. If you're going to just look at look at the town website, if you see four or five people Working in code enforcement in that town, that's probably not a place you'd like to live because these people make a living enforcing zoning codes, making sure that you don't hang your clothesline, uh, clothes on the clothesline or something. You know, I mean, these people invent stuff, rules. They create rules. They're not laws. And it's just... Extremely frustrating to live in such places. Don't go there. Pick a town where you have no zoning. There are lots of towns in Maine that have no zoning. He wants to establish zoning. And he's on a crusade, one guy, to establish zoning in the town. He thinks we ought to have zoning. Well, I think... We're going to be able to deflect that initiative. I don't think we've got a majority of people in our town that want to have zoning. Because if you want to have a few chickens in the backyard, and uh, they have a, I learned something. I never heard the term before. I've seen it done, but the term is chicken trailer. Well, no, chicken tractor. you got a 12 or 16-foot square pen with chicken wire around it, and chicken wire on the top so the hawks don't get your chickens. And you, there's your, your chickens in there with a chicken coop. And the thing is on wheels or it's on. And when the chickens pick all the grass down enough that, you know, they're getting a little low on food, you pick this thing up and you slide it over 12 or 16 feet. Now they got 
can eat all the bugs and insects and grass and everything else in there. And chickens are omnivorous. They even eat other chickens if we give them a chance. And, uh, you know, this uh, this is a cool thing. You kind of have to mow his lawn very often. And the chickens leave fertilizer behind. And there's inside the coops, there's places for the for the chickens to nest and lay their eggs. And uh, it's quite a little operation. I'd seen them before. But uh, I never learned the term chicken tractor until recently, the last couple of years. So it's 9.55 now. But we've got a, it's just going to be fun to watch the news and listen to the news. I don't, we don't have, we don't have a TV at here at camp. I rely on the, on the, uh, internet and the car radio and I have to go up the top of the hill to check my cell phone text mail so get off of here I'll have a cup of coffee and go check my text messages I do that twice a day when I'm at camp try to stay in touch but I mentioned earlier in the show that the federal government bought 350,000 get home bags. Some people call them bug out bags. So that their favorite people at home the event of strife. They also bought enough forty caliber Smith and Wesson pistol ammunition to shoot everybody in our entire country ten times. Now that is is You know, we got 340 million people in the country, so it's 10 times. Let's see, 340, 3.4 billion rounds of 40 caliber Smith and Wesson hollow points. That's a hard hitter. It's almost as big as a 45. And they bought a whole lot of Glocks and various other handguns. Maybe a whole lot of those are in those bug-out bags or get-home bags because there was a press release that was on Drudge this morning. It's very interesting. There are more bureaucrats in our country carrying firearms today than there are United States Marines. There are more people in our federal bureaucracy carrying firearms than there are United States Marines in our nation. Now, when Barack Hussein Obama was elected, and you've heard the audio tape, now this was seven years ago, but this is show number 406 approximately, but at 40 hours a week, that's 10 weeks of listening to the old northern Maine landman. But Barack Hussein Obama, I've got the tape, said that I want to have a civilian security force that's just as strong, just as big, just as well-funded as the military. Well, guess what, folks? By stealth and in the dark of night, we've got a civilian security force. It's just as strong, just as well-armed, just as well-funded as the United States Marine Corps. He's done it. 
Nobody knows. Nobody listened. Nobody questioned it. And Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, gave Barack Hussein Obama $1.1 trillion as a going-away present. He could have stopped it. He betrayed the people of Wisconsin. He betrayed the Republican Party, and he betrayed a nation and gave him $1.1 trillion. It's not a budget. It's just the spending authorization. It passed. Think about that. As you look at the world's events today, kind of scary. And I'm fearless. This has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network. The Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in this on Saturday, June 25th, 2016. Hunker down, be safe, God bless. Wise men follow him, Wise men follow him. Thank God for the renegades and the lions they lead. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.